Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com of Chapel Hill. Sort of a basketball autopsy, basketball season autopsy podcast. I've got Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Sherelle McMillan. This will be our last, maybe in-season, edge-of-season podcast. Greg, I'm going to come to you first. We've talked a little bit about it off the air, um, but I want to talk about it on the air. Your thoughts, just give me two or three sentences um, of your thoughts on the season as a whole. Well, two or three sentences, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough for yeah. me. Um, but I think I think this is a season that exceeded my expectations. Uh, I did not think North Carolina would be a number one seed. They took advantage of a uh, of a pretty good ACC schedule in their favor to be able to get that number one seed. I think Roy Williams did a heck of a job coaching rebounding. Um, but I think at the end of the day, this this team was probably too uh, too dominant on the perimeter, and when the outside shot failed them, as well as their perimeter defense failed them. That's why they took a little bit of an early exit. But I, I think this was a, a very good year for North Carolina basketball. Um, it was better than I projected. It ended up a lot better than I thought it would be. And uh, I, I think you have to give Roy Williams a lot of credit for the job that he did. Uh, and I think you have to give the players a lot of credit because yeah, I think Cam Johnson and Kobe White ended up being better players than a lot of us thought they could be this year. And uh, hats off to them for for a very good season. Ross, you're next. I mean, Greg hit on a lot of stuff in that long run on sentence. That was just one sentence, I think, Greg. I didn't. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you. Yes. <laughs> but but Ross, your your take. I mean, Carolina. You know, they go 29 and seven, 16 and two in the conference. It ends in the Sweet 16. I just think that Sweet 16 ending may buffer any um, overarching. Uh, good season type talks. I'm not saying it wasn't a good season, but it, it kind of makes it a little less so, at least early after it's over. That may be a uh, a record short answer by Greg uh, <laughs> there. But, um, I mean, I think he hit on main point, which I was going to touch on, is that Kobe White and Cameron Johnson exceeded expectations with, with their shooting and their scoring, and that's why this team was so good. I thought UNC got lucky in beating Duke without Zion the two times, which definitely – I don't think you would expect those two wins into the seasons that added to the record. Um, and like we always say on this podcast, the team got better and better as January ended and February rolled along and into March they were peaking. And I think the disappointment was an, an earlier exit than we expected uh, from this team. But all along, they, they did have limitations, live by the three, die by the three. Uh, a lack of interior scoring is, is another way to score. Um, but, yeah, and I think, you know, you look back at this team and it was very, very talented, and, and you expect some, a lot of these guys to have a lot of pro success. And so there will definitely be some regrets on the length of their tournament run there. But uh, overall, great coaching job and just really elite play by a number of those two guys, Cameron and, and Kobe, and, and Luke at times as well, and, and defense by Kenny. I think a lot of people will leave this kind of wanting more from 
Nasir Little. I think that's one kind of you look back at the season and kind of wonder what if with Nasir Little. So, Sherelle, you've been the voice of reason and the voice of positivity for, you know, Ross. <laughs> I don't Ross know how that happened. Yeah, really. Ross and uh, Greg cover it. They see it up close. You and I sort of watch from afar and then we talk about it on these things. But your thoughts, I know, um, like I said, you're you're the positive guy, at least of myself and you on our podcast shows. But uh, just your thoughts on the 29-7 and seven record in the season overall. I, I don't see how anybody can really be uh, too disappointed in it, considering what your expectations were heading into the season. And your expectations were, hey, this team can be good, but a lot of things have to break you know, a certain way. Cam Johnson has to be really good. Luke May has to keep being Luke May. Uh, Nasir Little and Kobe White have to come in and be impact freshmen. Garrison Brooks has to get better. Kenny Williams has to, you know, score and be a leader. There are like six or seven things that have to happen for North Carolina to get to the point where they were a number one seed and, you know, a 29-win team. And probably, what, five of them, you know, came to fruition. So I, I I can't get too upset with how it ended just because of the run they went on. Um, you know, 29 wins, a number one seed in the Sweet 16, you know, in what many considered to be a, not a down year, but a questionable year. You know, I think most Carolina fans will take that. Greg, you know, I know you're a stats guy and and I know you've got a a bucket full of them to offer, but I think that 16 and 17, if Carolina fans could have a skewed expectation scale, I think 16 and 17 really skewed that Uh, last year kind of is what it is but I I think for me going into this season it was much better than I thought it would be Uh, the ACC schedule played a role in that a little bit not so sure I agree with Ross's um, analysis of the Duke wins because I, I really don't think that they were a really good team they were a collection of good players Um, but I think for me the biggest thing coming out of this season in its entirety is I had no idea that Kobe White would be anywhere close as good as he was. I mean, it was fascinating to watch his progression and to see him play like that, coming out of Greenfield, small school. I know he'd done it on the circuit in the summer times, but for me, that was the biggest thing out of this season is that kid was as good as any freshman's ever been at Carolina, and no way, no how did I see that coming. Yeah, and I want to I want to make this very clear from the get go. This is by no means a knock on Kobe. I want to make that perfectly clear. But you mentioned the 2016-17 team, and the the heart and soul of that team was Joel Berry, and his determination and his grit and all of those intangibles you want to throw at him. But he willed that team to a national championship, um, and that was a. Per- impressive performance and you know you had to have Luke May make a big shot in Memphis and Theo Pinson did what Theo does so there's a lot of components to it and then of course Kennedy Meeks had you know, the best weekend of his life in the final four but Joel Berry was was the player that carried the team just like in 09 it was Ty Lawson and that speaks to uh, the requirement of having a great point guard who's experienced, right? 09, Lawson was a junior. 17, Barry was a junior. They had been through the ringer. They understood what it took to get there. And so when you fast forward to this year, to put all of that pressure on Kobe 
uh, I think was unfair. Now, to your point, uh, I, I can't think of another freshman that was exciting to watch as Kobe White. Uh, I'm a little bit biased towards uh, Joseph Forte because I was in school at the time, um, and I got to watch that up close and personal, and that was a lot of fun. And Kobe reminds me of, of Forte and, and you know, to some extent in certain ways, but Kobe, when Kobe was on, he was probably the best player in the country. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, but when he was not quite on, he took some ill-advised shots, um, as we saw in the Auburn game. I mean, when you're trying to go behind the back against a double team, it's not going to work. But a junior Kobe White knows that, doesn't make that mistake. And so as a, as a freshman point guard, um, I think Kobe was, was fantastic. I think he was a joy to watch. He was a joy to cover, especially when you start kind of getting into his story. Um, I think he was just a fascinating player. Um, we'll have to wait and see, and we can talk about it a little bit later about whether he comes back or not. Uh, I, I would assume, you know, given kind of where the projections are, uh, we've probably seen all that we will see of, of Kobe White in a North Carolina uniform, but that, that remains to be seen. Uh, but but I think he was he was just incredible, and that's one of the reasons that North Carolina was top ten in the nation in adjusted tempo. This was the fastest. North Carolina team of the Roy Williams era, and that was due to Kobe White. Um, so I think I think he was a key component of this team. However, I will say this: I think Kobe uh, really had a, a a learning ground, a teaching ground, if you will, because there were three seniors on this team that carried the burden: and Luke May, Kenny Williams, and Cameron Johnson. And because of that, Kobe White could make mistakes. Kobe White could be a freshman at times without it uh, harming the team. You know, you talk about Duke, for example. Those guys didn't have that luxury. You know, if R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson made mistakes, that was it for them. That ended up being it for them. Uh, But that was not the case with North Carolina because Kobe White could kind of learn and grow, uh, and I think that really helped his development. But he didn't have all that pressure to – to handle the adversity and handle the weight of being North Carolina and being a number one seed and all those things. Um, and I think that helped him develop, and that speaks to Roy Williams and his system and all those things. Uh, but, but I agree with you. I think, I think as a freshman player, um, he, he very well could be the, the most dynamic player of the Roy Williams era. I know Hansborough had an incredible freshman year, um, and there's some other guys in the conversation, but uh, but hats off to him for for what was a, a really fun year to cover. Ross, you mentioned Roy Williams and, and the coaching job he did, and I think probably the way he handled Kobe White is um, it's not something I've ever seen before, really. And I know Sherelle can correct us after we talk about this if we're wrong, but he gave Kobe the keys and said, "Go and." He accepted the mistakes that I haven't really seen him accept the mistakes um, of a freshman before. And I think that's the adaptation of Roy Williams, you know, as this season progressed is maybe he didn't have a choice that may have something to do with it, but he allowed, Greg said the seniors allowed Kobe to be a freshman. Roy Williams allowed him to. The problem is with that when you are a freshman 
you know, even 36 games in when it tightens up, you have uh, flashbacks to those freshman mistakes. And I think that's a lot of reason why you see teams in the final four this year, that are led by upperclassmen and it's been that way. And that's why Duke and Kentucky have gotten so many great recruits, but hadn't had final four run in four years or whatever it is. But Ross, your thoughts on that as far as how Kobe was handled? I, I thought it was fascinating and completely different and out of Roy Williams's MO in the past. Yeah, I mean, um, it was just the the compliments and the the regard in which Roy held Kobe. I mean, he was throwing around Ty Lawson comparisons and, and the name. I think he called him the best scoring point guard he's ever coached. I mean, this is him as a freshman, and so he's comparing him to a junior Ty Lawson. And I, I think most UNC fans would, would think that Ty Lawson was the fastest guy that, um, you know, that has been a point guard at UNC. But the numbers show that this team under Kobe White was even faster. And he was a, a better – I think he's a better – obviously, as a freshman, he was a better pure scorer, better shooter. Um, and he really grew into the role. And much of that was because Roy didn't limit him and, and took the uh, turnovers and the, and the earlier mistakes in November and December and allowed those to happen and didn't – Pull, put the push the brakes on him at all and then by january february you know those it was 20 point games after 20 point games and a couple of 30 point games thrown in there and it was incredible to watch um just an unreal combination of speed and size i had friends and i were talking about today about just you know, he's a legit six five he's strong he's got a strong base with his legs and he's he's going to get bigger and then you combine that with such quick speed and, and a jumper that you know i I don't. I haven't seen a, a player kind of get on fire as often as he would. You know, hitting four or five threes and a half, things like that. So um, it's a player. You know, it's gonna be. It's, it's rare to see a guy that good that quick. And so uh, hopefully, people savored it while it lasted. Real. And before I go any further, it's Inside Carolina podcast, of course, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Place on Franklin Street. Place online. Get your uh, Carolina gear. There's plenty of it. They've got football gear for the spring game. They've got baseball gear. They've got every kind of gear uh, that you could ever imagine locally owned and operated. Uh, they're alums, so they know what it's like to be Carolina fans. They know what Carolina fans like. JohnnyT-shirt.com. And, of course, Inside Carolina subscribers get that 10% off your orders online and in-store. So take advantage of it. Um, it's time to start buying some new gear as the seasons warm up. Sherelle, looking at um, – Kobe White and the way Roy Williams gave him the keys, you know, a lot of people will still talk about Nasir Little not starting. I think that is probably dead as far as Roy Williams holding anybody back as far as the Kobe White phenomena this year. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the positions that they played. Uh, Kobe wasn't behind, you know, uh, a grad transfer who had played for four years, who was, even though he was hurt, played you know decently well for UNC as a junior in Cameron Johnson, and he also wasn't behind an All American like Luke May, <clears throat> so it was a little bit easier for Kobe. And I I do think you know we talk about the platitudes that Roy Williams put on him before he even uh, before his senior year. Um, Roy Williams kind of you know we he can't comment publicly, but you know we talk to recruits and they tell us what coaches say, and he told Kobe that he reminded him of Tyler Hansborough at the point guard position, and you know, that's kind of when alarm bells went off for us that, hey, Roy Williams really likes this kid because I think Greg can attest to this for covering Carolina for so long. Ross can attest to this for covering Carolina for so long. 
you don't make a Tyler Hansbrough comparison to a junior in high school unless you really, really like him. That's rarefied air for Roe Williams. So um, he has liked Kobe for a long time. And the more, it, you know, we look back and follow the intel, you know, coming into the season, there was never a question about who North Carolina's point guard was going to be. Um, maybe he didn't tell Kobe until the night before the first game or whatever, but Roe Williams knew pretty much from the second uh, Kobe enrolled that that was his point guard. And it proved to be the right decision. With Nasir, you know, you would like to see him play better. He would have liked to play better. Um, but again, it, it wasn't really his fault. A lot of it was just that he had two All-Americans who played, for the most part, exceptional basketball all season in, ahead of him. And that's just kind of how it worked out. And real quick, um, you talk about the coaching job earlier. Uh, I think that speaks to the coaching job as well, because Roy Williams, you know, I'm sure he heard it. He claims not to hear it, but I'm sure he heard it about him, you know, starting Cam Johnson and Luke May over Nasir Little, the prize freshman. Um, but he brought the team along his way. And hopefully it, it helped Nasir as he goes to the NBA. And I definitely think um, it gave a confidence boost to uh, Cam and to Luke that Roy Williams trusted him, trusted them enough to to keep them in the starting lineup. Real quick, a little bit behind the scenes. I remember doing some podcasts with y'all kind of before the season started. And we had sources, I think this was Greg, sources telling us that, man, the series is good, but Kobe has been impressing in you know the August, September, uh, October kind of pickup games and that he was just really showing out. And they were just far more impressed and you know, at his development and that he was going to be the man this year. And I thought that kind of definitely proved to be true as we sit here talking about and raving about him right now. Yeah. And I'd say that in talking with his, his high school coach, Rob Salter, um, for whatever reason, uh, and you know, Rel can probably, you know, clean this up for me, but for whatever reason, the, the dialogue was, uh Oh, Jalik Felton is gone. He was the five-star point guard who was supposed to be the point guard of the future. Kobe was coming as as the two-guard. What do we do now? And, oh, okay, so Roy's going to switch Kobe from a combo to a point, and uh, we're not sure how that's going to go. But in talking with with Salter, uh, Kobe's played point guard for a while, and and Rob really praised uh, Kobe for his ability to, to make smart plays in transition and for, for having great court vision and all those kind of things. And so when, you know, when he, he got to high school, it didn't surprise Salter that, that Kobe eventually would become the point guard. Um, and I think that's a testament to Kobe. That's a, a testament to Salter, his ability to kind of develop Kobe. But I know I, I was a little bit susceptible to that of, okay, well, here's this kid who, Maybe he's not really a point guard trying to play point guard in Roy Williams' system. Are you kidding me? Uh, and you know, we were down in the Bahamas, and granted, I mean, those were against some teams that weren't very good. And uh, I think it was the first team that North Carolina played it was actually pretty good. I mean, it was you know, it's, it's not an ACC level team, but it's one of the teams that North Carolina played in non conference. And to see Kobe push the ball and be aggressive in attacking. I haven't seen that out of North Carolina point guard since Lawson. You know, Kendall was was great, but he was a passing point guard. He wasn't you know, a scoring point guard. And it didn't take me very long to be like, okay, well, this this kid can do it. Um, and so I think it took a while for people to really appreciate that, hey, this guy's not just a scoring guard. He's actually a point guard. 
And that speaks to kind of where this game has gone and that you don't necessarily need a, a passing point guard. In fact, if you have just a passing point guard, you're probably behind the, the eight ball, unless you have a Kendall Marshall who can dish out your know, 15 assist game. Um, and so you know, props to Salter, props to Roy for, for really identifying that early that, Hey, here's a kid. Uh, he's not used to pushing tempo. So he's a little wild, uh, but the, the potential is there. And both of those coaches did a very good job developing Kobe very quickly. Yeah, Dewey Burt would tell us, and Ross remembers it, and I, I can't remember if we ever really talked about it on air, but off air, coming out of the summer break, Dewey would say that the guys that would come back and play were just blown away at how good Kobe White was. They were like, yeah, Nasir's a stud, uh, but Kobe's just different. And uh, he certainly translated his game you know, by any means to fit for Carolina. And he was, you know, I know this is the Kobe White podcast so far, but for me, he was the guy that led this team. And that leads me, um, and I'll come back to you, Greg, and try to keep it in some semblance of order. It leads me to talk about the seniors in Kenny, Cam, and Luke. I don't know if I would say they deferred any to Kobe. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, certainly Cam Johnson was, uh, if not the MVP of the team, then he was certainly 1A. But those guys uh, fed off of Kobe and then still showed up and did their jobs. I mean, Luke could have been better at times. Cam was fantastic most of the time. And Kenny struggled at times, but he hit some big shots, I believe, in the Duke game in, in Chapel Hill for one. But your thoughts on those guys? I mean, because they've been a part. Cam Johnson seems like he's been there longer, but Luke and Kenny especially, I mean, Carolina basketball is going to be significantly different without those guys there. We said the same thing with Pinson and Barry left. I mean, it's just these one-and-done factories don't have that. And for North Carolina fans, it's going to take some getting used to not to have those guys on the court. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound divisive at all because that's not the intent. Um, but when you have seniority and you're the guy, you, there's there's a little bit of the, okay, well, we have a talented freshman or two, but they're going to have to prove it. They're going to have to show to us that they deserve to be on our level. And we saw that this year. I mean, if, if you go back and listen to some of the audio, some of the interviews we had with, with Luke and Kenny and Cam uh, in, in November and December and January, um, there, there was not a lot of deference to the freshman. It was like, yeah, they've got to get better. He's got to do this better. He's got to do this. He had a good stretch there. He's got to be able to do that consistently. Um, and more of that was kind of aimed at, at Nas. Uh, but as the season progressed, those guys all of a sudden opened up and they're like, you know what? Kobe's proved himself. We're going to you know, leap praise all over him because he is fantastic. He has done all these things. He has met all these requirements within the Roy Williams system. So he's one of the guys. Welcome aboard. And with Nasir, it was much later in the season. It was like we would ask, Nasir would have a good game, and we'd ask those guys. And it's not like they were putting it off. But it was very much like, yeah, he had a good game tonight. If he does that consistently, we'll be a much better team. But then we get to the NCAA tournament, and he has that great first week, and they're like, hey, Nas is – Nas has arrived, essentially. He, he's doing exactly what we need him to do. He's playing better defense, all these things. 
And so it's very much like you have to do all these things to kind of get to our level because we've been there. We've done it. You in, in Kenny and Luke's case, we've won national championship. You know, we've been to the championship game twice. Uh, so just, just because you have high accolades and you're a great athlete, you're not going to get a free pass from us. And I think that's very beneficial for the younger guys. You don't walk in and you're not anointed, right? You have to prove yourself. You have to live up to that expectation. Uh, and I, I think that's benefited Kobe. I think that benefited Nas. Uh, but you know, these guys have been through so much. And you know, Kenny, I think, is a great example. Here's a guy that you expected him to have an incredible senior year, especially offensively, because he shot the ball well last year, and you thought he was really primed to kind of move ahead. And he just did not shoot the ball great this year. Now, uh, he, he developed his game to the point where he was a great perimeter defender. He, I, I personally believe he became the vocal leader of this team uh, and did a lot of very good teams for the squad late. He played good against Auburn. Um, but I think that's really a testament, like you say, to, to that Roy Williams approach. You know, when you, when you look at kind of the uh, – and Sherelle first posted this a you know, month or so ago. I think it was the first Duke game. But if you look at the the you know, average recruiting rankings, North Carolina's starting lineup was was north of 100. And he's like, North Carolina, really? But that was that was the situation. I think Kenny was like 95th. Luke was outside top 100. Cam was outside top 200. Uh, but yet they were able to to grow, and they had the ambition, and they had the coaching to really develop their games. Um, and I think that's that's what you have to look at with Kenny and Cam, and Luke, is what is a player's potential and how close do they come to reaching it? And that's the mark of a good coach. If that differential is very small, and I don't think any of us would argue that with Luke May, that differential is minuscule, if at all, um, that speaks to the job that the coaching staff did. And so uh, to have those guys with the experience they've had and to be the leaders they were, I think is one of the key reasons that this season was so good. And part of that's because they took a lot of pressure off, off of Kobe and Nas and, and even Leakey before he got hurt. Take a quick break, come back. We'll talk a little season superlatives, most improved player, MVP, MOP, whatever OPs you can think of. I'll come back and I'm going to ask you, Ross, so you're on the clock. All right, guys, we've we've kind of hit the high points, individual players, but Ross, I'm going to ask you a little different um, superlative. Who do you think on this squad was the most improved from last season to this season? And then part two of that question from the beginning of the season to the end of this season. Interesting. <clears throat> I think Cameron Johnson is, was by far the most improved uh, jumping his totals rebounding, three-point shooting, scoring. His percentages were, were way high. It was, it was so efficient, better defender, could score in so many different ways, which which added to his um, threat as a three-point shooter. I mean, he was spectacular and consistent throughout the whole season. So I think he was not only the season, the team MVP, but also the most improved player. I think he got some votes in the ACC voting for most improved player. Uh, it's hard to argue that. Um you can't pick him for most improved for this season because he was pretty much good from the start. For most improved from the beginning of the season to the end, um, 
I think Garrison Brooks is a good choice, but I'm going to go Brandon Robinson, maybe a, a dark horse candidate there. I thought Roy trusted him more. I thought he would he would give you, you know, he could hit a couple threes, you know, one or two threes a game. He was a pretty reliable defender. Um, and there wasn't a huge amount of drop-off when he came in. And that was different from his first two seasons at UNC. And you kind of trusted him hitting at least one or two threes a game when he was open. And, um, you know, a pesky defender could do some little things. And I think the, the positive steps he took as a junior this season are going to pay off next season where he could be counting on for a huge role, maybe 20, 25 minutes a game if he certain things go certain ways and he becomes a starter. So um, I'll go with Brandon Robinson. That's good stuff. Uh you hit on the couple that I was thinking about, but Sherelle, I'll get you. I haven't forgot about you. Um, I know B Rob's been one of your guys, but your if it's the same players, it is. Um, but your thoughts on those two different questions: most improved from last to this, and most improved improved from November to March. I do agree that it's Cameron Johnson uh, most improved this season. And again, it's not like he was bad last year. Um, just him being healthy after he had the surgery and, um, you know, taking more of a, I guess, a leadership role, maybe not leadership role, but just being more aggressive, um, especially offensively. Um, it really kind of came through. And there were, there were several times throughout the season when North Carolina needed a basket. It was Cam Johnson. I mean, Greg wrote a story about um, his, you know, his shooting on the road. Um, there are so many times when I think Carolina maybe was up two at half or down five. And Cam Johnson comes out, hits two threes, gets a layup, and they're up, you know, three and on their way. So I think he was probably the the most valuable player, or mo- excuse me, most improved player this year. Um, from the beginning of the season, I know he had a thirty three point game against Texas, but I'm going gonna, gonna go with Kobe, um, just because you could see kind of each time he was presented with something new, he may- maybe he didn't play as well as he'd like to, but when he saw it the second time, he was much better. And um, I think the Louisville matchups kind of speak to that. The first two matchups, he was not very good um, against them in the ACC tournament. He was better. Um, the first Duke matchup, he was not very good uh, in the Smith Center. He was the reason, pretty much the reason they won. So every time, you know, you could just see the growth because each time he played a team the second time or the third time, it seemed like he got better. So I'll go with him for uh, growth throughout the season. Greg, you're up. I mean, Cameron Johnson was just um, ridiculously good this season at times. Um, nobody said the one I would pick for most improvement during the season, but Greg, I'll let you go ahead and knock it out. Well, I think Cam for sure was MVP of this scene, but I think I think most improved has got to be Garrison Brooks. Um, I think that's one of the, the keys of the season that's been most overlooked, and for good reason. I mean, you got you got three seniors that are – quality players you've got two freshmen that are highly touted so it's easy to overlook a guy that that started all but well I guess he started all the games um and I I think the fact that the garrison really accepted his role um, that's not easy to do but he knew that North Carolina needed a post defender and what do we talk about all offseason it was if North Carolina because of what happened against A&M if North Carolina does not have one of those sophomore bigs, whether it be Garrison Brooks, Sterling Manley, Brandon Huffman, step up so that Luke May does not have to play the five, then this team is is very limited in what they can do. And even though Garrison Brooks is a four, he is not a five. 
You know, Sean May has said that publicly. Um, he played to that five spot and he excelled. And Roy Williams noted late in the season that Garrison was their best defender. Not Kenny Williams, who was the best perimeter defender, but that Garrison Brooks was the team's best defender. And that kind of bore out in, in the Defensive Player of the Game Awards that the coaches hand out. And so uh, the, the fact that Garrison, it, he was not great offensively, and I think that's the biggest key for him moving forward, is that he had too many gimmies at the rim that he just missed. And I think fans see that, and it frustrates them for obvious reasons. Um, but we're so offensively uh, focused that that you know, really kind of biases our, our, our mind, if you will, um, and it kind of limits what we see on the defensive end. But I think without Garrison Brooks playing the way that he did in the post, North Carolina does not get a number one seed by any stretch. They do not share the ACC regular season title. Um, and even though he made a lot of strides in the offseason, I, I think you really saw a lot of growth from Garrison during the course of the year. And I think that's why, for me, he's he's by far the most improved player. Ross, most important player on this team, and I'm going to take Kobe White out of it because, uh, you know, his wins over replacement are probably um, close to 29 or you know, 20 maybe for this team. But most important player, I think an argument could be made that Garrison Brooks was the most important player, not the best, not the MVP, but the most important. And I think back to the Duke game in the tournament, when he went out, that game was over. Uh, but your thoughts throughout the season on the most important player not named Kobe White on this team? You took uh, Kobe White away, and then you already said Garrison Brooks leaves me with limited well, can, options. Yeah, you can use Brooks. I mean, you can expand yeah. on Brooks. <clears throat> I think Greg just said enough about him. I'll go – I'll go Kenny, which I think it would be a unpopular answer because of his, his scoring was definitely not a factor, and you would you would think that even other players would be um, could be counted on for more scoring. But I think Greg mentioned his leadership. I think that's critical, and I think having a perimeter defender like him, a tough, gritty guy uh, who can gr- draw charges and, and lock up your best, uh, the opposition's best. Uh, score and shooter is so important and you know he never got in foul trouble so never really saw this team without him he started every game so I think they'd miss Kenny from uh, um, the intangibles that it's really hard to statistically track Um, chasing a guy around screens and being a dominant perimeter defender is such a hard job so I would go with Kenny Williams and you, somebody mentioned it with Garrison Brooks I just mentioned it with Kenny but one thing to add just in general about the season is the fact that this those five starters started every single game the whole season, except for Garris, uh, except for uh, Kobe White missed one game against UNCW. I think that's something that is not talked about enough, but is an incredible mark and a big reason why this team was so successful um, this season. They had such consistency from their five starters, and by the time February March rolled around, they were so familiar with each other, and that was a huge advantage for them throughout the uh, the season. Yeah, I'll, I'll add this to. Uh, Ross's take on, on Kenny. When when Kenny came up lame and early in the second half against Washington, I was certain because he was right there in front of me. I saw his facial expression. I was certain that he had pulled his hamstring and that he would be out. And if that had happened, North Carolina was done. 
And I, I, I was already writing that story. Even even though North Carolina could have gotten past Washington, they were not getting any further without Kenny for all the intangibles that he provides, including that defense. Um, and so the fact that they avoided a bad injury in that game, um, I, I think set the table for, for more success later, even though it didn't ultimately occur. Do you guys think Kenny got tired towards the end of the year just from all that running and around screens, like Ross said, and chasing people? He just seemed like he wore down to me. Yeah, I, I don't disagree whatsoever. I think the fact that he played so many minutes late in the year, uh, you know, we, we talked about Kobe's minutes for good reason and Luke's minutes, but Kenny playing that many minutes and having to play you know, the, the best perimeter to, uh, offensive player every single game. I think it was pretty clear that he was exhausted by the time you know, NCAA tournament rolled around. I think by the time the tournament runs around, everybody is so tired when you're having you know two games a week and the AC tournament is a grind. You're playing three games. And I think a lot of the starters for how much they were used are, are, are so tired by the end. But isn't it, isn't it more tiring to play defense than it is to play offense? Or is that a myth, Sherelle? Because that's what Kenny did. I mean, he Kobe ran just as much as Kenny Williams did and Kobe I think got tired but I agree with you especially against Auburn and a lot of it had to do with being hurt and the fact that they were getting whipped but he looked worn out by the end of that season yeah I mean even if you go back to that last Duke game where that was one where it felt like Kenny was trying to will North Carolina to a win because he did not want to lose uh to, to Duke at home but even that game I think he played 38 or 39 minutes and he just looked completely spent I don't know what you guys saw in the locker room but he he on television um, his mannerisms and just how he looked after the game, it looked like he went home and just collapsed because he didn't have any energy left, um, especially going against R.J. Barrett, who you know, is bigger than him, taller than him, stronger than him. Uh, so, you know, it I was a good season for Kenny. Um, like Greg said earlier, I think he wanted to shoot a little bit better, um, but he still did a lot of things to help North Carolina, um, you know, get to 29 wins. All right. I'm giving you the floor, Shrell. <laughs> um, I can hear it. I don't even have to be near you, and I can feel what you want to talk about. Yeah, so we haven't mentioned Luke May. I mean, the first guy in almost 45 years to average double-double in back-to-back seasons at Carolina. I mean, just a, a remarkable career. And to me, um, one thing about Luke is that I, I link him to Justin Jackson because of him and Kenny being um, – those three guys being roommates and the stories about how uh, Justin would be at the gym working so hard. And then Luke would say, where's Justin? And they'd be like, Oh, he's at the gym. So Luke would go to the gym and then Kenny would get home and be like, where's Luke? And like, Oh, he's at the gym with Luke and, and Justin. So then Kenny would go to the gym. So to me, it kind of, um, you know, you're kind of tying a bow on this, this Marcus page, Bryce Johnson, Justin Jackson, Theo Pinson, Isaiah Hicks, Kennedy Meeks era. Now that, uh, now that Kenny and, and Luke are moving on. And again, just a remarkable career from Luke May. I think two years ago <laughs> after the national championship game, I doubt we would have, you know, maybe we can go back and find the the podcast, but I don't think we'd have been like, yeah, you know, Luke's going to average, you know, 18 and 17 and 10 or 16 and 10 or something like that. And his junior year, he's going to be a third team all American and he's going to end up top 10 all time at UNT rebounds. You know, none of us would have thought that despite us knowing that he probably was going to play a lot. He still exceeded expectations. I'll add something here on, on Luke and a kind of question for, for both Shrell, Tommy, and Greg. Um, Luke, I mean, such an incredible season, like Shrell said, with the rebounding and scoring his last two years. 
I was kind of hoping they'd make they'd make some run and he'd get a chance to win most valuable player of the of the final four because I think his last two seasons is deserving of a of a jersey honoring. And I was wondering if who do you think deserves a, an honored jersey more? Both are not going to get it. Kenny Meeks or Luke May. Kind of two different careers, but two players who I think fans both think had that kind of borderline career. Um uh, start with Sherelle and then and Greg and Tommy. Uh that's tough, but I think I personally believe Kennedy Meeks was the MVP of the Final Four. So I just by virtue of that, I think he would, you know, probably I don't want to say more deserving, but of of the criteria you've presented, um, then I think Kennedy should probably be up there. Greg, you yeah. can go. I mean, if, if we're talking about a two game span then Kennedy Meeks in the Final Four, but uh, Luke May and and there is a podcast out there when we talked about Luke May averaging a double double, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody laughed at that thought. It was either you, Ross, or you, Greg, or one of y'all were debating it back and forth. Um, and I think ever since that podcast, he averaged a double double. You know, for like seventy games straight. He, Greg, he heard, he, he heard the Greg, podcast and got mad. Greg <laughs> said Luke would average double double, and I said he won it. Kenny only scored. Funny, I have the box score right in front of me, uh, tagged to my wall. Kenny only scored seven points in the national championship game. Kenny, how many rebounds? How many shots and how many rebounds? Uh, five shots, three for five, oh. ten rebounds. Uh huh. And one big block shot. Yeah, it was a big block shot. He yeah. had twenty-five against Oregon. Right. But seven points. Whatever. I think. Bigger, yeah, there's definitely an argument there. Bigger play, Kennedy. Uh, Meeks's block in the championship game or Luke May's shot to beat Kentucky? Come on, oh, man. It was tied, wasn't it? No, it's not. No. They were already up three. <laughs> they were already up three when Kenny Meeks made the block. Yeah, so wait, I'm sorry. They were, no, wait, were they up one or up three? I can't remember. They were up one and Kenny Meeks made the block. Yep, they right? were leading. They were leading. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Luke May. The end. Yeah, I, I think I think you have to give Kennedy a lot of credit for for how he closed the year because there was a lot of conversation in the course of his senior year about where did this guy go and he was lashing out at fans on social media and then he just stepped up big in the NCAA tournament. And the Oregon game is what everybody remembers. I mean, he was just a beast in that game. And everybody contributed in the title win. Um. But in terms of, you know, I mean, Luke May, I think I think he made that shot against Kentucky, and we're all like, that is the highlight of his career. Who could have ever thought that a kid like this would have that big of a performance against Kentucky? Because he also, didn't he win most outstanding player of that region? Yeah, he had like 20-something as Butler, yeah, too. Yeah, right, right. Um, and we all like, oh, what an incredible you know, end of his career, even though he's a sophomore. And it was he do. He ends up being an All American his junior year. So, um, you know, both guys have you know, had incredible contributions. Um, I think Luke had the better career overall. And if that's what we're getting oh. at, then give him the give him the trophy. But um, you know, Luke hit the big shot in a, in a tough game against Kentucky. I would I would wager that Kentucky had the momentum in that game, the way they came back. And so it was not looking good for, for North Carolina if they had to go to overtime. Um, but, I mean, you know, Kennedy Meeks played like a man in the NCAA tournament Final Four and 
uh, he deserves props as well. Uh, Sherelle, bigger, bigger play. Luke May shot or Kennedy makes a rebound against Oregon? <laughs> uh, Luke May shot. I'm, I'm not going away from Luke. But, you know, Kennedy is a – and we were talking offline about this, and I'm going to try and bring us back on topic a little bit. Um, Kennedy struggled finishing for a, a, a good amount of his career. I think Carolina fans, if they go back and watch some of those games, it, it was always, Kennedy, please, can you dunk? Or, or Kennedy, can you finish better? And as he got stronger and, you know, lost some weight, that really improved. And I think Garrison, you know, not exactly like Kennedy Meeks, but I think that's the model that he has to look to is his first goal, I think, for next season is just putting on some more weight and just becoming a really good finisher. If he can do that, um, depending upon what the roster looks like, then, you know, he could average double figures pretty easily just from, you know, throwing down dunks and lobs and that kind of stuff and, and putbacks. Kenny Meeks stats from the Oregon game while I have it here, 25 points, 14 rebounds, 11 for 13, three for six from the field, from the free throw line, one assist, one block, three steals in 30 minutes. That was a good stat line. I have it here. I might as well. Only time I'm going to use it. So why did he only get five shots in the championship game? Yeah. Anyway, that's that's rhetorical. <laughs> and why well, did he? And I, Joe Barry deserves everything he's gotten, but the fact that Kennedy makes what in that Final Four MVP is ridiculous. Dude, Joe Barry couldn't walk. He couldn't walk. Joe Barry had 22 <laughs> in the championship game and he 11. Walk. 11. You in should the, have seen his ankle. His ankle was <laughs> twice the size it normally is, and it was black and blue. How, how many shots did Joel take? In the championship game? He had 19 <laughs> shots. Seven for 19, four for 13 from three. <laughs> a lot. A lot. Yeah, he was jacking them. I remember that. Tommy, pull us back together. Pull us back together, Tommy. Let me. I think it's funny. We're uh, we've uh, we're now reviewing the sixteen seventeen season. <laughs> let me let me finish the Luke May segment with this, since we got off on Kennedy and, and Joel Berry, and that that speaks to the discredit of everybody with Luke May, right? That's not fair. Okay, so Luke May, as much grief as he got at times this year, and in, in the postseason, in five postseason games. He averaged 16.4 points and 10.4 rebounds. You will take that every single day from anybody. Um, And so while he did not get a lot of the hype this year that he got last year, and and maybe for good reason, maybe not, but he closed strong. And that's all you can ask from a kid. And he played his heart out. He had a really good close of the season after some some shaky play. But 16.4, 10.4 in postseason. It's hard to argue with that. One of the best rebounders in UNC basketball history. Yep. No doubt. One of those. Six yeah. eight guy. Six eight guy from Huntersville. Pretty incredible story. Pretty incredible career. Um, I saw Jimmy's famous seafood. He's got crab cakes for life up there for his career. <laughs> what was that about? I don't know, but I'm going with him if he goes because I love those things. But um you know, I'm trying to get this one back on topic, and I want to talk about sort of maybe, and since this is the last one, we're doing a long one, but Greg, what was uh, maybe the the downfall of this season um, or the fatal flaw that was, I thought, there throughout um, the season that they overcame to win 29 ball games, but I think it showed up against Auburn. But your your thoughts on – um, how Roy Williams was able to finagle that many wins with a team that I, that was a flawed basketball team. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I, to me, I think it's pretty pretty simple when you look at what Roy Williams has done over the years. Um, you know, this team, while we talked about Auburn hitting 17 threes and we talked about you know, three-point field goal percentage defense and how they struggled in that regard, uh, Kobe White and Cam Johnson were two of 14 from three in that game against Auburn. North Carolina shot 25% from the three-point line. And this is a team um, that that made the most three-pointers in single-season UNC history. Uh, this is a team that, that relied on the three-point shot more than any other team in UNC history. And that's not what Roy Williams wants to do. Now, it was a strength this year, no doubt. But Roy Williams's best teams have always been, and will always be because of his philosophy, balanced inside out, and if anything, skewed towards the inside than out. This team was not that. And I think ultimately that was the downfall. Uh, that's why I didn't think North Carolina could get to the Final Four. I had them going out in the Elite Eight. They went out earlier than I thought. But I thought this was you know, a team that was really going to struggle to get to the Final Four. If they're hitting, they can beat anybody. We've seen too many games where they just didn't quite shoot well enough from outside to make up for some of those miscues. Uh, we saw the uh, Kiki kid had a great game at 20 and 11. I know some of those were threes, but he was really a hoss inside the North Carolina uh, because of that reliance on the outside. Uh, they weren't able to overcome. And so some of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, kind of came to fruition a little bit in that final game. And I think that was the ultimate Achilles heel of this team is that for all the great that they did, they simply relied on that three-point shot just a little bit too much. Ross, you're up on that. I think, you know, I often talk about threes, especially early threes or fool's gold. I felt like in years past, Carolina could always grind out a win. And, And this team did a few times, but when they ran up against an Auburn team or, you know, a Michigan team or those type teams that were able to, beat them in the traditional ways you beat North Carolina that Carolina couldn't rely on their three-point shooting to shoot them out of it. But but your take on maybe those downfalls and those troublesome issues that really never, ever went away despite 29 wins. Yeah, I think, you know, Greg talked about the shooting, so I'll, I'll try to avoid that topic. But the shooting, you know, hid other offensive issues, the lack of a, a true interior score. Um, Luke had a... A good season, uh, above average season, but wasn't the, the the post score that traditional Roy Williams coach teams have. Um, so when the three point shot wasn't falling, they didn't have another option inside. But also, I mean, Kobe White's ability to, to score in transition and on all three levels really made a um, a difference there as well. Um, you know, I think you know back to some recruiting misses. This team wasn't as as talented or as deep across the board as really, really good teams, Roy Williams coach, UNC teams are. You know, they didn't have, um, I don't know, they didn't have a, a big-time post player. Um, they didn't have, I mean, Kobe White was kind of the star shooting guard. They didn't have a, and yeah, I don't know, that's not, not a good point because Cameron Johnson is a really good shooter too. But, you know, it just felt like they had, they lacked a little talent. And you, you compare the recruiting rankings to other teams and it fell a little short. Um but, I mean, it was still a really, really good team. It's kind of hard to find a flaw, and I was trying to there and kind of spoke over my words. So, 
I would say just um, the fact, even the fact that they didn't have an interior scorer, they still like were leading the nation rebounding. So there were a lot of issues um, that you're trying to think of that they kind of went the other way with. I don't really making sense here, but that's what I would go with. Um, and and we're, we're trying to find a flaw on a team that was that won the ACC co-title and was the number one seed in the nation and the top top four team in the nation at the end of it. So it's really hard to find that. Yeah, that, that sums it up. Sherelle, I'll let you be the last word on the 2018-19 season. And then our next segment, like I promised you, we'll look ahead towards next season. But your thoughts on, you know, I, I felt like all year Texas game, you know, worried a lot of people. The Michigan game, that Louisville game, um, you know, the Virginia game, I think they win that if they stay healthy. The Duke game, I mean, it's a, a shot. But then Auburn really sort of brought a lot of things that Carolina had struggled with, on-ball defending, um, three-point defending. Um, you know, it just all sort of came out there at the end, like it usually does when a, when a team loses the last game rather than win it. And hand sanitizer also probably cost North Carolina a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. With the terms they went around. Uh, no, I, you know, I think – um, we talked about it in the post-game podcast. North Carolina, despite you know Cam Johnson and, and Nasir Little not being 100%, I think the fact that they got out-rebounded, and maybe the two are related, but the fact that they got out-rebounded um, in the first half, that Auburn had, I think, 10 offensive rebounds in the first half, that really was the fatal flaw, was that um, when you're playing a team such as Auburn, um, you, can, you have to take advantage when they're not making their threes because they're going to hit them eventually. And I think maybe that was the flaw of the season. If there is one that there were times throughout the year where North Carolina didn't necessarily take advantage of things that they had, um, take advantage of situations where they were better than the opponent, where, um, you know, they had the ability to do more things, basically rebounding, um, shooting from three, scoring in the paint. There were times where it, it felt like they just didn't know how to attack if that makes any sense. And I don't know if that was the case with Auburn, but that's what it felt like. They just didn't build up enough of a lead to withstand, um, you know, Auburn's barrage from three in the second half and the barrage from two. So, you know, it, like you said, it's hard to find a flaw in a team that did all the things that North Carolina did. But I think, you know, partly not taking advantage of situations. And then sometimes the defense did have slippage. You know, it was good for pretty much from Louisville on, I would say, uh, the first Louisville game on. But there were some some instances where it, it slipped up a little bit. NC State comes to mind, um, uh, both of those games. Um, and then maybe a little bit against Duke uh, in the ACC tournament. Um, but that's being really, really picky. So a little bit of defensive slippage and then not taking advantage of certain situations, I'd say, um, were two big flaws. Yeah, I would just add this. When you look at the best Roy Williams teams, yet again, if you go back to 2005, North Carolina, Shot free throws on 44% of their field goal attempts. 2009, uh, 39.8, so almost 40%. The last two years, last year was only 28%. This year is 30%. So we're talking about 10 percentage points, um, and that speaks to the, the perimeter-style offense. And I think once you get into that mindset, that really sets you off uh, to kind of get away from attacking the basket. and. Who is the guys that can attack the basket for this team? Kobe and who else? Cam got better at it. Uh, Kenny did in transition. And Nas, toward the end of the year, he kind of figured out that he could have success there. 
Um, but this team was really limited. And I, I think that really speaks to kind of what Rail's talking about. When when they fell behind, I mean, this, this team had a losing record when they trolled at halftime. And that's that's really a a component of, of not being able to kind of, you know, you know what? We, we've got to grind back into this. We've got to attack the basket, get to the free throw line, score points when the, the clock's not moving. That's how we'll do it. That's what Hansborough did. That's what those great, you know, Felton and, and Sean May teams did. But this team just kind of lacked that edge, and that's one of the reasons why when the shot wasn't falling, they had a hard time kind of making up for it. Let me take one more commercial break, come back. We're going to talk about 19 and 20. Uh, we'll do it a little bit. We'll have a plenty of uh, off-season podcasts before the season starts next year, but we're going to hit it right now after this break. Sherelle, I'll go to you first since, you know, you're the, the recruiting guru. And I'll talk about this. Uh, clearly, we don't know exactly what the roster will be for next season. But let's talk about some of the guys that we know will be on the roster that we haven't really talked about during this podcast. And I think one of the main ones uh, could be Brandon Robinson. I, I mean, I just think what he did this season certainly was preparing him for his possible role next year. Uh, 100% agreed. And I, I think he slots more um, at the two-guard position uh, for a variety of reasons. I think he's a, a really good passer. And then, you know, the the fact that he really hasn't been able to put on much weight. We talked about it in other podcasts, you know, when he was playing the threesome, um, he was guarding, you know, guys like DeAndre Hunter and guys like RJ Barrett, and they're much bigger than him and stronger than him. And he just wasn't able to handle it. So I, I think the two, maybe there'll be guys who are either shorter or more slight of build um, defensively. And I think that'd be a great spot for him. Became a really good shooter. And I, you know, I, I don't think they'll miss a beat with him starting at the two versus Kenny. I think uh, Robinson fully in the lineup will can be as good as Kenny was. Um, so he's really key. And then also I think Leakey is if not the most important person on next year's team, I think he's close because he covers them no matter what happens in recruiting. So say they don't get a, you know, another two guard or say they don't get a three, you know, Leakey can be the three. Say they don't get another point guard in, um, you know, a couple of weeks, <clears throat> Leakey can come in and he can be the backup point guard. He just, he he his ability to be so unique and so versatile makes up uh, a ton for potential recruiting misses that North Carolina might have. So that's why I say that he's maybe not most important, but he's very vital to next year's team for that reason. Ross, your thoughts? And let's try to keep it to guys we know will be on the roster because I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, what about, you know, whatever grad transfer, whatever recruit that's not committed or, or anything like that. But just let's talk about the guys that are coming back next year. Sherelle makes a good point. Leaky and B-Rob will play big roles next season, regardless of who's on the roster. Yeah, that was a great point uh, by Rel on uh, on Leakey. I didn't really thought about that. His flexibility gives UNC a lot of flexibility. His positional flexibility gives UNC a lot of flexibility with how their roster ends up. Those two guys taking steps is huge. Leakey putting on weight would be – both of those guys put on weight. I mean, Brandon Robinson has been 170 pounds for like three years now. He's so skinny. Um, you know, and they have experience at point guard in Seventh Woods. And, you know, maybe not the best player, but a viable a, a senior. And that's worth something. He's shown flashes. Maybe with more minutes, he can be something. Uh, and Garrison Brooks is proven a starter. And Cheryl talked about earlier about finishing around the rim. You know, he could be a guy who could get you 10 points and 10 rebounds. I don't think that's outside of his realm of what he can do. 
and you just hope that you know, a guy like Sterling Manley can step in and, and provide some minutes as well. Um, and then, oh, Armando Bicot, you know, he's committed. So I think you definitely have him as a starter at center, and I think he can be a guy who can get you some points. That's what this team is going to need. They're losing so much scoring. There's going to be so many available minutes, so many available shots, and Armando Bicot, if he can play a, a good role and get double-digit points, that's what they need from him. Um, I think he is good enough to come in immediately as a starter alongside Garrison Brooks. So I think we do know what they have at the uh, the two big man positions, and that's reassuring. Just they got to work out things one through three and just hope for a lot of improvement from guys like Brand Robinson, Leaky Black, and Seventh Woods. And I think you have some, you have guys with experience there and some guys you can count on because they have played in key moments of uh, those three guys I mentioned. Greg, I'll let you wrap it. And, of course, if if you're listening to this and you want all the Inside Carolina recruiting scoop, you need to join Inside Carolina Premium if you haven't already. Sherelle's got plenty of news up. Um, even as we speak, as we record this podcast, there's relevant recruiting news on site. But we're just sticking to what we know for sure at the moment. And, Greg, wrap the show on your thoughts next season. Whoever's on the roster, like I've said before, it's going to look completely different than most Carolina fans are used to. Yeah, if, if status quo holds, then I, I think North Carolina is in for an incredibly down year next year. Um, I think Seventh Woods and Brandon Robinson are, are likely you know, role players uh, for any team. They would have to make incredible strides to be guys that could be starters for North Carolina. And, um, you know, credit to, to B-Rob because he, he made tremendous growth this year. But uh, I think if there's no more additions to this roster, um, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a problem. And you know, not, not saying Roy can't coach these guys up, but um, there needs to be some additional scoring on the perimeter. I don't think the pieces in the post are. are Bad batting stretch. I agree that Baycott and, and Brooks is a formidable starting front court, and you add in Manley and, and maybe Huffman can make some strides. Then we're looking at you know a, a decent group there, uh, but on the perimeter, if there's nobody added, uh, you I think Leaky Black becomes your your star most likely, and North Carolina just really struggles to score. Um, you know, B Rob was good shooting threes when nobody thought he'd shoot threes. But if the if the scouting report becomes B Rob's UNC's best three point shooter, that changes. And uh, so if if status quo holds, next year is going to be tough. And uh, if, if Rel wants to end this on some positive recruiting news, that may be a good thing. Great. Uh, Greg, that's such a somber way to conclude it. But the harsh, the harsh honesty of Greg Barnes. I agree, though. I, it could be rough. How did, how did I become the positive person? I'm, this is baffling to me. You know, I think they are. They they have a great shot at um, Cole Anthony. He is the, um, depending upon what service you use, we'll use 24-7. He's the number two rated guard uh, in the country, the son of Greg Anthony, if you don't know. Um, he's going to announce at some point here in the next few weeks, hopefully. Um, but I, I think North Carolina is a great shot with him, and that, that would help with the perimeter firepower offensively, um, especially if Kobe White does opt to go pro. 
um, getting Anthony is paramount to North Carolina being competitive next year. And then they are in the mix for a few, a couple of grad transfers, as well as a few other players who haven't announced yet. So um, I don't think that's how the team will look. There's, there's a very slim chance that's how the team will look. But as we're looking at it right now, some of those players, you know, if you diminish their role a little bit and take them from a starter to uh, a bench contributor, then things start looking a little bit better. So maybe that's a positive note is that they can add, uh, you know, a couple of players, a couple of guys like Leakey and uh, Brandon Robinson improve. Armando Baycott comes in and is ready to get the ball force fed to him in the post. Garrison Brooks continues to improve. Sterling Manley gets healthy. Um, and the coaches are really good at highlighting um, a player's uh, strengths and hiding their deficiencies. So even a player like Andrew Playtech, who maybe isn't as athletic or um, isn't as great of a ball handler, I think Rollins will find a way to highlight his strengths and to make sure he gets playing time to help the team. So I, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm an optimist. It's just that until they prove otherwise, I, I'm, I think North Carolina's coaches and the players have earned the benefit of the doubt that they often are better than we think they're going to be. And Shreel, what do we hold on? And Shreel, what do we always talk about with recruiting? It always oh, works it, out. It, it always works itself out one way or the other somehow. Um, you know, we've talked about this. I know this podcast is going on forever, so this is the last one for a while. You don't have to hear us talk anymore. But you know, we talked about a couple of years ago how uh, Kenny Williams was, you know, originally not supposed to be there, and he just kind of shows up. And Garrison Brooks wasn't supposed to be at Carolina, and then he gets released from his letter of intent, and magically, you know, shows up. Uh, Carolina was so worried about if Brandon Robinson was going to be ready to replace Justin Jackson and, and walks Cam Johnson. And two years later, he's one of the best three-point shooters in Carolina history. So um, I don't know how it happens. And maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's a, a, a bad habit to just trust that it's going to work out. But more often than not, it does. And we, uh, you know, kind of gave those projections thinking it, we didn't mention Kobe White and he's still on the team right now. Is there anything you can tell us about that, Sherelle, with, uh, with Kobe White? Because as of right now, you know, he – on the team you can check the ic premium message board uh <laughs> good tease there i i will say that it's not you know you can read for yourself and see the the mock drafts and all that stuff but i don't i don't I, i'll say it's not um a lock let's put it that way for sure i'll leave it like that <laughs> tommy what have we talked about for years if if your kid or my kid has a guaranteed multi-million dollar contract. He's gone. He's gone. Gone. Even though, uh, yes, my my child's gone, period. But if you look at somebody like P.J. Washington, the Kentucky guy that came back, I think that's a similar, and a lot of people have talked about that, Sherelle, on the boards. I think that's a similar type deal um, for the improvement, don't you think? Or is that just wishful thinking by Carolina fans? Yeah, I think that's a little wishful thinking. P.J. Washington <laughs> was not – he wasn't nearly the player that Kobe White was as a freshman. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't think a decision has been made. I think in the end I'd be surprised if he was at North Carolina next year. But, you know, some some guys decide to stay. Miles, Miles Bridges decided to stay. P.J. Washington decided to stay. But, you know, if I have a, a, a figurative and literal lottery ticket in my pocket, I'm not waiting 15 months to cash it. I'm running to Raleigh. And, and going to the, the lottery and cashing it immediately. So that's the way I look at it. Amen. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I, I think Washington may be more in line with Nasir Little, but Little already in that uh, 
running to Raleigh to cash that lottery ticket, hopefully for little. Guys, it's been fun. It's been a, a long year. It's been a fun year. Ross, I appreciate you joining me uh, dang near every week since this season's been going. Sherelle, these post games have been fun. We missed Dewey Burke tonight, but Dewey's been on it. And Greg, man, you, uh, you're always the warrior to step up and do these um, even when, as you said, you're exhausted. So I hope you can get some rest. So, spring game, I would think after spring football, it slows down a little bit. Um, I know I'm already ready for uh, the next season because we're going to be doing some podcasts from the Bahamas. Guys, it's been fun. Thanks for joining me. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.